Did you know that more than 113,000 children are waiting to be adopted from foster care? Ellie was one of them. When she was placed in foster care at 16, after experiencing significant abuse, she felt unlovable. Thankfully, Ellie was adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Today, she's planning on college and has a bright future. But more than 20,000 teens age out of care every year. You can help. Visit DaveThomasFoundation.org slash learn more. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to the 4-8 Men podcast. I am so stoked for today's episode. Um, I have one of my good friends, Levi Lesko. And Levi is a husband, a father, a pastor, an author, and he's also an ice bath enthusiast, so I am so thankful to have Levi Lesko on the podcast today. Christian, thanks for having me, bro. What a good intro. I'm going to make sure that's in all my bios forever. Well, thank yeah, I was thinking about it, and I was like, like I always see Levi posting about the ice bath, and I was like, I got to throw that in there. So, Absolutely, yeah. Do, yeah you, do you get down with that? I do get down. I, I don't own one, but if the opportunity ever pre- presents itself, I, uh, I dabble. I dabble in the we ice could, bath. There are ways we could make this happen. This is good. My, the, the cold shower is the gateway drug. Yeah. So uh, the Wim Hof, you know, you finish cold. So if you just end a shower with 30 seconds of cold and then, you know, up from there, it's, that's kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, I always hated getting out of the shower. But if you end cold, getting out to relief because then your room that. is warmer than the cold water. I've never thought about that. Then I bought a horse trough. And that was the next thing, a stock tank, 110 gallons. Then I bought a commercial ice maker or, or a home ice maker that's like a under-the-cabinet one. And then now I've just gone full Olympic uh, team uh, refrigerator unit that cycles the water through and it can keep the water at whatever temperature you want. But in the winter, it's different because it's, it's more of an issue of how to keep it from freezing solid. That's my problem. Yeah. Well, I saw the other night it was pr- on, the t- on the surface was pretty much frozen solid. And then you kicked, you kicked it in. So... Um. Take that devil. <laughs> yeah. Well, props to you. I can't believe that you actually do that. And I actually saw you recently. So I was, uh, we were both working out in the hotel gym and I saw you briefly and I was doing the rower and you kind of briefly walked by. I mean, you actually went to the, to the men's changing room. Um, and I waited for you for about five or seven minutes and I was going to go in and tell you, Hey, but I thought you might've been using the bathroom, but turns out you're using the sauna. So not only are you an ice bath enthusiast, but you also love the sauna. So I love that about you. I like the extremes, Christian. Hot on one end, cold on the other. It's my favorite in the whole world. I feel like that's my place for peace. That's my place for um, just, you can't really be on your phone in there because it shuts off. So it's a good chance to pray, to think I have a Bible that's waterproof that oh, someone that gave awesome. me forever ago so I can read it in there. It's awesome. That is, do, you, is that, do you do that combo, like ice bath and sauna kind of thing? Yeah. So I'll normally do, I did 15 minutes in the sauna this morning. I'll usually do 15 or 20, but then when I get really overheated, then I'll go do three minutes in the ice bath, and then I'll go back into the sauna sometimes, if, depending on how much time I have, you know? Yeah. I definitely need to, I, I really do need to get into that, because I know I love both, um, but I don't own either. So I feel like, if, like I said, if the opportunity ever presents itself, I do like to, I do like to dabble in it. So um. It's addicting, I swear. And I feel like um, there's a billion health benefits, but psychologically and emotionally, it's as important for me as it is physically. Yeah, that's what I hear. Everybody talks about all the benefits. And, um, we were in California a few months ago and everyone in Sadie's family did it. And we were, it was just, we were at a friend's house and it was just ended up being like who could stand the longest. And, uh, Willie actually 
did not end up doing it. I think he was the only person in the family that didn't do it. So, um, wow. we'll have to give him a hard time about not, that for sure. He's not to shame, not to shame him, but sweat he, it out. He was not willing to get in the ice bath. Um, but we're just coming off a of passion conference, and you spoke on, um, you know, as believers, and at this conference, we are, um, you know, in a feast in the midst of a famine, and it was absolutely incredible. And me and Sadie always say that you are legit like a history teacher. And it is so crazy how you memorize, all, I don't say memorize, but you learn all these f- unique facts and all these different stories. And you, you never referenced your notes the whole time. It was like 20 minutes of just all these historical facts. And we were just so fascinated by that. But I loved, I loved hearing your talk at that conference. And if you weren't a passion or haven't listened to it yet, you need to go listen to Levi's message. It was so powerful. Thank you, Christian. I loved every second of passion. Um, My only sadness was you guys weren't physically there. Obviously, you guys were there spiritually. And Sadie brought just an incredibly important message, timely message. And and, uh, we missed getting to see you guys in between sessions and be sitting there worshiping with you. But we knew you guys were connected. And it was I was actually telling Jenny, it was so weird how even though she was on video, it didn't feel like that. Like sitting in the room, the screens are so big and everyone's watching the screens anyway you had to keep reminding yourself that there wasn't a, a one inch tall version of Sadie on the 50 yard line. You know what I mean? It was, it yeah. was so weird. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it really was cool because we like looking back at it, like she didn't have to deal with, you know, the echoing of the building. So she really was able to be kind of poignant and really not have to, you know, kind of deal with that reverber re- reverberation. Of and I will just say this, I think Sadie back. and I are the only two speakers that hit our clocks. Yeah, and I was just, I was, we were laughing because I think Maverick City, we were looking at the timing. I think it went like, they went like 45 minutes over. Um, and I just love that. But you, uh, you, you two were the only ones who, who, who hit your time. Most speakers went over by 10, 12, 15, 20 minutes over the clock into the red. I'm just so OCD, I can't handle it. I think I was like right at zero, two yeah. seconds. Sadie might have been one second before. She was like, bang, like a, like a surgical strike. Yeah, she was. Per- I think I think Tim was like 15 minutes over. So it's it, not a contest, uh, but we we won. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> but who's counting? Yeah, but you um, can't tell we're competitive at all. Yeah, no, we're definitely super competitive over here. So, um, but but before we get into you know all the spiritual aspects of your life, I kind of want to hear um, about your you know your journey through through fitness and all those things. I know that you and your family, you love to play tennis and I know that you grew up surfing, but um, what's your background with fitness and what's your journey been like? Yes. Well, first of all, I just have to extend my voice to say congrats on this podcast. It's such a needed conversation. Your voice uh, is a needed voice within the Christian world. I know God's raising the volume on you every day and I'm I'm honored to be part of it and really glad this exists. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so I, I grew up, my dad had this rule. You didn't have to do any sport, but anything you started, you had to finish. So if we took off T-ball, if we like said, hey, I'm going to do T-ball, it was like you couldn't do two weeks of it and be like, T-ball's not for me. You know, yeah. you didn't have to do it again the next year, but you had to do it again. So as a result, I played not at duck-duck-goose style with all the sports. I did a year of basketball, a year of soccer, a year of cross-country, a year of t-ball, a year of everything, and none of it really uh, did it for me until I found board sports. Um, Board sports for me, skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing, I was like, this is more my jam. The exception to that being tennis. I played tennis from the time I was five until the time I was 12, or till 14, sorry, and then my high school didn't offer tennis. 
So I would have kept going. And one of the biggest Christian regrets of my life, since you asked, is that I didn't get to play high school tennis. I think the whole trajectory of my life might be different if I'd have played high school tennis. You you, you could have gone to become a professional tennis player. No, I just think I would be better than I am right now because I missed that really developmentally significant year yeah. of uh, high school instruction. But I don't think I would have gone anywhere other than, you know, to uh, high school tennis. But yeah. I probably would have warmed that bench really well. <laughs> well, we still, have, we still haven't yet, yet to get to play tennis, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to when we get to have a little doubles match going. Dude, I, you name the time, I'll be there with rackets because we wanted to play in Florida when we had that little prayer meeting, but it ended up being so much prayer that we did not get a lot of tennis yeah. in. Which is a good thing, which is a good thing. It was what we were there for, but I did in the back yeah. of my corners of my recesses of my mind think, I want yeah. to be playing tennis with Christian right now. And then I was like, okay, you got to pray. I thought about that too. Well, it, that, that statement actually even just reflects on this podcast that the spiritual trainings have every value and the physical trainings have some value. So even though we didn't get to play tennis, we, we got to do the things that was of every value, which like you said, we, it was nonstop prayer and worshiping. So Yep. But it's funny, you know, I found, and, and I know you know this, that if I slack off on the physical side, just like it's important to not stop praying and, you know, not reading my Bible, but if I am just doing those things dutifully, but I'm not watching what I eat, I'm not, um, you know, getting my sweat sessions in, I'm not prioritizing, you know, exercise, I find it has a corrosive effect on the whole package. And I really do begin to have a harder time emotionally, um, uh, spiritually, my battles with lust, everything, I feel like cascades when yeah. I let those things slip. Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you that. So, like, in what ways do you feel like, you know, being physically healthy has, you know, impacted you know, your spiritual health and, and all the things that you're going on to do with ministry? Hmm. I think uh, it's, a ca- it's like a cascading effect of discipline. You know, I think the Bible talks about discipline and so many of the inter- analogies are interchangeable. Paul, when he wants to talk about how he follows God, he naturally tends to shift into boxing metaphors, running metaphors, uh, you know, the Olympic Games. He uses the Corinthian Games. He references to the, the church at Corinth. So he has a way, you can tell he was a sports fan because it's just in his, the way we would, you know, reference the Alabama, Georgia game or, you know, whatever that, that it's for him, Federer Nadal was just something that would, would come out. So you could tell he cared about it. And I think for me, um, when we planted the church, uh, I was young, we were early twenties and I did not at that point have to really watch my, because my metabolism was pretty strong. We could kind of you know, we were a youth ministry, so it was Mountain Dew and pizza every night. You know, that was our life as youth pastors. But then you plant the church, you start growing up a little bit, and that diet continues. And man, I put on weight when we started this church. And I was probably 20 pounds heavier than I am right now and did not feel good and did not have that same kind of strength. And it really, it affected me. Depression, you know, that stuff all, it became harder as I was unhealthy. And so as I began, what, what did it for me was cycling. I began to get into um, road biking and I trained for my first century, did that, did it four more times. And then, um, I found the healthier I was physically, the more, uh, I had energy to give God spiritually. Yeah. That's, that's like, you know, even for me, like, that's what I always say when I go to the gym or when I go train or when I'm even just playing a sport, like if I'm not use, if at least for me, you know, individually, if I'm not using that time when I'm doing that to to also simultaneously train myself spiritually, then I'm more prone to, to, you know, to think worldly thoughts. Even like, yes, 
yes, within the aspect of like, you know, physical training, I do think it helps me spiritually, you know, even just in and of itself of, you know, getting to go be by myself and get to go do something that I enjoy. But on the flip side, if I'm not, you know, listening to a sermon, or if I'm not trying to listen to worship music or using that time to really think about what I'm doing spiritually, you know, then I find myself, you know, worrying about what I look like and being consumed with all these different worldly things about myself. So it's really like, you know, this idea of every time I go work out or if I go play, play a sport or something like that, I, I can't help but think like, okay, this is important, but what am I doing for myself spiritually? And that's what I hope this podcast, you know, really does for people. It's like every single time you go in the gym and if you're working out, you can't go work out and not have a thought about what are you doing for yourself spiritually. Um, but I love that story and even how, um, you know, even training, even for you, you know, someone might look at you and, you know, not think that you can struggle with those different things. But it's cool hearing you say that when you're physically healthy, that that directly impacts your spiritual health and how you lead your family. So that's awesome. It spreads and and, it, and you feel better. And, you you know, it's um it's interesting, too. It's it's also a stewardship issue. And I, I kind of had that conviction, like, you know, taking care of myself. God gives us one body, you know, to live in for this time to serve him. And, you know, the better we treat it, the more the more kind we're going to be to this vehicle that's going to hopefully give us many good years of serving God with. And it's ironic within the church that can be, you know, such a demonization of, uh, you know, getting drunk, which obviously we don't, God wouldn't want us to do that, nor would, would we want to if we realize what we're doing to ourselves and, and other things. But I think it for a long time was this area where for pastors, it was just you got to pass on it. And I grew up in a generation where almost all the pastors I knew as a kid, not all, but very many of them would be so unhealthy. We're in, you know, triple extra large. I'm not trying to, you know, shame anybody for that. I'm just saying it wasn't a thing that I felt like was an emphasis that you should take care of your body, but it was normal for me to hear pastors who clearly were, you know, not, you know, not, not, um, not necessarily prioritizing physical fitness, but they would be like ripping on smoking or drinking or any of these other things, which, which, you know, as we read scripture, gluttony is a sin too, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to say like, that's one thing we should single out and people can have, you know, thyroid issues and there can be lots of reasons someone can end up in an unhealthy place physically. It's not just someone who's not making good decisions, but there can be that, that aspect of it. And so I think we have to have the conversation from a holistic level and address it as something, it's not, as you said, the most important thing, but it does matter. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and not only, not only are you physically you know, fit and physically active, but your family is also. I know y'all just got back from a ski trip and you live in Montana, so y'all are always hiking and fishing. And Sadie even said that Jenny is a is a trainer. So I know that clearly working out, you know, and being active has a lot um with your family. And even for for your family, you know, how what are ways that you've stewarded um, you know, being active with your family and and even just, you know, that idea of working out. Oh man, that's so good. Well, you know, it's been a process, but we've found and fallen in love with the area we live in and realized, gosh, there's so many great things. The, the pandemic helped a lot because it, it just accelerated the amount of time we were here. So, you know, we would, we would always camp a couple times a year, but now it's just become more of a thing we do and hiking trails. You don't have cell service, you know, you're able to just be out there in nature, walking and talking and having granola bars and laughing. Last time we went hiking as a family, we stumbled upon a couple getting engaged. It was so hilarious. We looked we, we to this back remote waterfall in, in uh, East Glacier, West East Glacier. And, there was this 
guy and I was like, oh my gosh, he's about to propose. We're all just sitting there eating peanut butter and jelly and he didn't realize we were sitting there. So they come down and you know he's on his knee and we're like trying to be quiet. And then he proposes, she's crying. And then they look over and they realize the special moment. We were just, it was just, hey, it's the Luscos. Here we are, you know, and like, so then we were like, hey, can we take a photo for you? It was super awkward. And then of course we all have this long hike back together where they were expecting to kind of be alone. So, but that'll be a memory we'll laugh about forever, you know, and playing tennis with our kids. They all do it. Lennox, Daisy Clover, they ski, you know, we, um, you know, going out for family bike rides to get an ice cream cone as opposed to just hopping in the car. I think little things like that have been just, just so fun. And then they all take up different things. We have the same role my dad did for me. They've done various stints of jujitsu and gymnastics and, um, in, in different ballet, you know, tap, they've done all these, all the little things and they kind of try them and some sticks, some doesn't, but it's been fun. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been, it would have been awesome if, if that guy asked you to officiate his wedding after he saw you. Yeah, that is funny. Actually, I didn't mention that. And, and, and I did laugh and Libby was like joking, like you know, wherever they live, you know, they don't, they don't know who took their photo, you know, yeah. which is fun. <laughs> they could have said, well, since, since, since you saw me and since you're now in this moment, would you like to officiate my wedding? Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> but you just so you just talked about, um, you know, where you live now. So I know that y'all live in Montana now. Um, so like I said, y'all, love to hike, you'll love to fish and, and, and ski when it snows there. And I know that it snows there often, but growing up, you used to live in California. Um, and I know that you grew up surfing. Like you said, you played, um, you know, board sports, surfing and skateboarding and um, wakeboarding and, you know, skiing and all those, di- all those different things. But I know that y'all moved to Montana, um, you know, to, to go start a church. So what was it like to kind of give, give up, you know, California, give up surfing and those things that you love to go plant a church yeah so good well you know the the lord um has such a sense of humor because i would have always said growing up i actually was born in colorado lived a little bit in new mexico then i I, but i always kind of wanted to end up living in a place like california and went to bible college there then ended up jenny and i taking a position at a church after uh our, our time doing youth ministry in california and honestly if you would have said freeze frame i'd have gone this is my life Season passes to Disneyland, surf every day, this, live in a metropolitan area with millions of people, center of culture, art, etc., good restaurants. Uh, and then God smacks us up the head with his dream of starting a church in Montana, <clears throat> which we were like, I'm sorry, uh, I can't hear you, we're busy here. But of course, we want what God wants for us. You know, that's more important than anything, any dream life, any dream house, <clears throat> excuse me. So we said, yes, and we want your will for us. If God would have said Kazakhstan or Manila, we want what God wants for us. Heaven is our home. We'll get to live forever there. Here, we're just on mission. And so when God said Montana 15 years ago, you know, we we did it, and we're glad we did it. Now we've fallen in love with it, and ironically, um, especially the last couple of years, it's probably one of the most desirable places anywhere you could possibly live in, in the middle of the pandemic. Cause Montana has been doing social distancing for about two centuries <laughs> and uh, it's just so much outdoor stuff and, and culture and life and beauty. And uh, but, but it was a journey of course, in giving up. I've always believed it's not a mistake to give up what you want now for what God has for you. And it did feel like in the moment, a little bit of a sacrifice for sure. Yeah. Um, so y'all are, in, y'all are in Montana now. Like I said, you, you moved from California. You said you grew up in, in Colorado. Um, so many people, you know, obviously know who you are now. They know that you, you know, you're the pastor at, at Fresh Life in, in Montana. But before you made that move and you said that you went to Bible college in California, what was your, 
you know, what was your story growing up? We've talked about your fitness journey, but what, you know, what's your, what's, what's your faith journey been like growing yeah. up and, and, and transitioning to, to Bible college? I went to church my whole life, <clears throat> practically born under a pew, you know, but there came a day before my freshman year in high school where I was really questioning everything. Um, I was still at church on Sunday, but I was, you know, smoking pot and drinking and, you know, had become very addicted to pornography because uh, I was exposed to that in sixth grade. Uh, my friend uh, showed me a big box of Playboy magazines that his dad had hidden in the garage and he let me have as many as I wanted. We would come over and look at them and trade them. And, you know, I would bury them in my backyard in a garbage bag because I was so afraid of my parents finding them. And uh, but I was desperately, desperately sick on the inside. It brought nothing but but guilt um, and the, the drugs and smoking and drinking, all of that. There was just a greater sense of emptiness than ever. And I was miserable at church because I was living in the world. I was miserable in the world because I knew better and none of it brought happiness. And I started to really, for the first time in my life, feel suicidal thoughts, depression, all of that. And, and, and then I met Jesus. I uh, went to a youth camp and I don't know if it was as much of the message as it was the community of love amongst the leaders and the students, but God radically broke into my heart and I realized what I was looking for everywhere else but him was the love found in him. And I made a, a commitment to follow Jesus. And I don't know if that was my born again moment or my prodigal son coming home moment or something in between, but yeah. man, if it didn't take. And from that moment forward, I wanted to point other people to Jesus as much as I possibly can. Man, that's so powerful. I had a similar moment like that. My, um, <clears throat> you know, I really resonate with what you just said about you know, that idea of, of, you know, being miserable in the world, but then also, you know, when you're in church, like, just that simultaneous, like, confusion, because, I mean, all growing up, like, I really truly thought that I was saved because I went to church and I could do whatever I wanted, um, you know, realizing now that's that Romans 6 of, like, you know, shall we just continue sitting so that grace may increase, um, and I even remember, like, like you said, I was addicted to, you know, pornography, drinking, you know, all those, all those different things throughout, you know, high school and even into college. And I, going into my, or I was in my senior year in high school, I was going to this retreat and literally going to, because my parents pretty much forced me to go to this retreat. I did not want to go to it. Um, I'm on the bus going to this uh, weekend ministry retreat and I'm literally watching American Pie on the bus. And looking back, I'm just like, man, I was so lost. Um, like I said, that was my prodigal son moment. I came back, um, you know, still struggled with the same things I struggled with, but I had a, a change in perspective. Um, but it really wasn't until I got to college that the Lord really ultimately pulled me out of that. I, I went into college as, you know, someone who wanted to live up my four years of college, but also still be involved with church, but also still be involved in the world. And that's just well, one, that's just not the life that we're called to live. And two, like you said, it, it, you get so miserable with it and you get so caught up, you get so caught up in it, but you also get just so, um, I don't know, at least for me, I was like, I have to make a change. And it, it wasn't until I was at a party and I've shared the story with you, but I was at a um, fraternity party and I went into college as a dry pledge with, with my fraternity. And uh, I told everybody that I was a dry pledge, yada, yada, yada. And I think, you know, they do that because they want those people to be the designated drivers. Um, and I'm just, you know, on a porch, just shotgunning beers, just trying to get drunk as fast as possible. 
and someone sat down next to me and said, I thought you didn't drink. Um, and it wasn't like a, uh, you know, calling me out. It was just that you said that you're a dry pledge and here you are getting hammered. Um, and it was just really something in that moment, man, of just like, that was the first time that I'd truly had this repentance of like, I'm saying one thing, I'm living another way. And you know, that ever since that moment, just the trajectory of my life has never been the same, but, um, I really it's really powerful how those yeah. uh, Elijah moments can be. You know, why are you hobbling back and forth? Pick yeah. a team. Yeah. You know, and it's that's a pretty come to Jesus moment when he says that. And I love that. It's like, dude, hokey pokey don't work, bro. You can't have right foot in, left foot out. You got to go pick up your cross and follow him or nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's like I said, even even through through this podcast and through this outlet, that's what I hope it. Like, I hope that people have stories like that, even through something like this, like. Yes, fitness can be a good facilitator, but, you know, the overarching thing of even more than fitness, it's, you know, where are you at spiritually? Like, yes, we believe that, you know, training our bodies is beneficial and that it's also, you know, to an extent biblical, but far more than that, you know, how are you training yourself spiritually? What does that, what does that look like for you? How are you actually living your life? You know, is there a Galatians 5 moment where it's like, this is the acts of the sinful nature. Here's the fruits of the spirit what what does my life look like? And if you don't want to give an honest answer, go ask five of your best friends and that I think they'll give you an honest assessment. Um, but I, I had that moment of just, you know, waking up and even after that, I wasn't perfect. I still struggled with some of the, some of the things I struggled with, but um, it just, it, the struggle felt different. I, I didn't felt, I don't know. I just felt like just a completely different person. Like you said, I don't know if that was my born again moment or if that was my prodigal son moment, but something took place there that I was never the same after that. So good. Yeah. It's like you're getting hit by a semi, you know, you, you know, something happened. You know what I mean? When you encounter yeah. God, like that road to Emmaus scales fall and it's like, what do you want me to do, Lord? You know, what do you want me to do, Lord? Yeah. But growing up, I mean, I never, I never thought I'd be doing, you know, ministry or, or even, you know, the things that I'm doing now. But, um, did you ever have that moment? Like when did you, did you growing up, did you think that you'd become a pastor or did you have kind of like that aha moment or what was that? What was that like for you? Well, ironically, I've literally never, ever wanted to do anything else but be a pastor. And I don't know if want is even the right word. That's when I was awesome. two, apparently I used to tell my, my parents, I'm going to be a pastor one day. My dad <laughs> was in ministry and I, two years old, that's what I would say. So everyone called me Microchip because my dad's name's Chip. So they would call me Microchip because like, oh, how cute, little Chip. I'd put a little tie on, show up on Sunday morning, follow around with my Bible, you know. And, uh, and, and even so even before I was saved, that's what I was telling people I wanted to be. So it really helped to get saved. Then it was like, okay, yeah. now you can really be a good pastor. You know, it starts with knowing Jesus. Uh, but yeah, I, I've, 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 this is all I've ever known and wanted. And I think it's more a sense of like fire in my bones and this is what God built me for. And I'm so happy that, that I get to do it. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely did not have, did not have that same story. Um, it wasn't until I was, yeah, later on in college that I really kind of felt the Lord tugging me to, you know, go for, I, I thought my dad owns a construction company. So growing up, I always thought that I was going to move back home and, you know, work construction. I mean, even summers in college, every time Jesus I... Jesus' dad did too. That's he was what, in the construction that's true, business. That's true. Hey, Jesus was a carpenter. But uh, right. yeah, all like summers, every time I would, um, you know, finish a semester of college, I would go home and I would do plumbing all summers. We would do, we would do, we would dig out the rough ends and we would p- put in, um, you know, all the pipe. This was all 
pre-housing stuff. This I never really had to deal with all the the nasty plumbing stuff, but we were all you know pre-house fixtures and all this different things. So growing that's up, good that's, leadership development, though, man. You know, leadership is. is poetry and plumbing. It's being able to articulate vision, but then also, hey, no organizations work if the toilets don't flush. You know, so I think that's really that's going to come into play and will and has for you as a leader. I've never, never thought about that. That's very. I like that. Yeah, plumbing. Plumbing was definitely definitely very humbling. Um, but I just talked about, you know, so my freshman year of college, that's really where I had this pivot of like, you know, how long am I going to keep living two lifestyles? You know, what is my life going to look like? How do I actually change? How do I repent? What, 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 what does it look like to truly start, you know, living this out? And, you know, I want people to see that I'm actually a new creation. I don't want to just say it. I want to actually live it out. And in my sophomore year in college, I read your book, Swipe Right. And I've told you this before, but that book, if you haven't read it, um, that book just truly impacted me so much. And um, you had one quote in there, and I've, I say this quote all the time, and this quote has resonated with me, stuck with me probably more than any quote I've ever heard. But you said, it's possible to have a saved soul, but a wasted life. Um, and I just want you to unpack you know, that for us a little bit. Even those, those people listening, you know, I don't know if people are coming in here to you know, get more fitness information or, you know, challenges or even the fitness aspect. I don't know if people are coming here because they want to hear more about the spiritual stuff. But um, with that to say, I think I have a a wide variety of people coming, you know, to listen to these podcasts. But can you just unpack that for us a little bit? Because I know that 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 quote has just had so much of an impact on my life. Well, it means the world that you would read my book and you, and the, the way God's used it in your story, Christian. And yeah, that line, um, it haunts me too, you know, a saved soul. Cause you know, salvation's not based on you. It's placed on you. So God gives salvation. I don't earn it. You don't earn it. We receive it because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's transactional, meaning he paid for it. We, for, we receive forgiveness by trusting in Jesus for grace. Now there's a big difference between what God does for you in salvation and what he has called you to do in the calling he has for your life. So uh, we all have this, Tim Tebow calls it a micro calling. It's, you know, the, the, make, the major calling is love Jesus, love your neighbor, you know, feed the poor, all those things. But the micro calling is, look, are you called to be an architect? Are you called to be an NFL quarterback? Are you called to be a pastor? That's a, a way to shine the light in your micro calling. And the way you do that, whether you get a gold medal, a silver medal, or a bronze medal, or nothing in heaven, is on how well you fulfill your calling as a Christian. So Paul says there's going to be Christians who are saved as though through fire, meaning they get to heaven, because entrance into heaven has nothing to do with you, but how you're rewarded in heaven. The fact that God wants to reward you, that is uh, going to be based on uh, your life on this earth. And so a saved soul in a wasted life is someone who let Jesus save them, but then did not fulfill all the great things, the dreams, the poema that God has for you. And so I think we should all, like Paul, say, I want to run for the, the prize. I'm not going to shadow box. I'm not going to pretend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to strive to get to the, you know, I, I want to lay hold of that tape, that athletic analogy of give it all you've got to do all that God has for you to do before you die. Yeah, that's awesome. And like I said, even that book, man, I mean, that that one liner, but even just, you know, I, earlier, I kind of even just mentioned some of the things that I struggled with growing up, but even just, you know, cause the overall theme of, of, of the swipe, right. And just your analogies with the pineapple and I don't want to give it away, but, um, you know, for me as somebody who, who struggled with lust and, um, you know, 
sexual morality and all the, all those things. That book just had such a profound um, impact on my life. So if you're listening and, you know, I feel like as most guys do, you struggle with, you know, those areas, that book has single-handedly um, impacted me more than, or at least just as much as all these other things that I've just kind of consumed over the years. Um, so, man, really that, I mean, that book spoke to me so much because especially at that time in my life, you know, I was a, that was a year after I was saved. Um, and even just coming out of those things that I'd struggled with, that book um, just wrecked me. And it really just opened my eyes to see this, you know, this view of sex and this view of, you know, of ultimately, you know, what we're called to in that area that I'd, that I'd, never, I'd never seen before. Man, praise God. Well, it was all written out of the overflow of hard things I learned and good things God taught me. And so I'm really grateful it helped you as well. My favorite chapter in that book is um, Red Bull at bedtime. You know, chugging a Red Bull right before you go to sleep is not going to help you sleep well. And if you're yeah. watching a bunch of raunchy stuff that's even not porn, but kind of like borderline porn or even Instagram explore page and, you know, kind of watching scanty stuff, but then trying to live pure. It's like chugging Red Bulls and then going to sleep. And you're like, but I can't sleep. It's like, well, change what you're watching. You know, you're giving the enemy such footholds into your life. So I think I think back on some of those concepts and teachings all the time. Well, even with that, there's so much, pr- like, like you just said, there's so much practical things that, like that you can do. Like if you feel like, you know, Instagram, like, like you said, even just the explore page can be a stumbling block or hindrance, like either set a time limit or before you go to bed, just don't, you know, buy it, buy a new alarm clock. You know, you don't have to use your phone as an alarm clock. Um, Cause even just things like that, you know, like, yes, when, when I got freed from pornography, but even like simple things like that, the Instagram explore page or even something that can even let your mind go to something like that. You know, the enemy is going to use whatever he can use. Um, even after you're saved, you know, he has more ammunition against you at that point because then you're actually a threat. So, um, totally. like you said, just, you know, if, if that's something that you struggle with then you know, you have to just eradicate that. Um, but I love that. Yeah. You don't want to chug a Red Bull before you go to sleep because you won't get any sleep. Totally. But that was the book Swipe Right. And I know that that came out, you know, several years ago, but you actually have a book coming out. Actually, it's out when this episode launches. It is officially out now. It's called The Last Supper on the Moon. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see what it looks like there and the graphics on it look absolutely awesome. Um, But I'm stoked to read this. And like I said, I I just talked about your other book. Um, So go get that book also because it's one of the best books I've ever read. But also this book, The Last Supper on the Moon. Can you explain to us a little bit, um, you know, what it's about, what's your heart behind it, and what, and what, you, hope, what you hope it brings to people? Oh, man. Thank you, Christian, and for the opportunity to talk about it a little bit. I'm really excited about it because of what it's meant for me personally. This book's all about Jesus. And, you know, as, as authors and communicators, as speakers, we're always searching for the, the next metaphor. Metaphors help us explain things. We didn't understand God's love until he said, well, it's kind of like a father with two sons. And once we had a metaphor to understand that, it gave us a different lens to look at it through. Mm-hmm. So this book was my attempt to come up with a metaphor that would be worthy of the cross and the gospel and grace and the power and majesty of God's love and what he's done for us. And I'm, I'm naturally drawn to the heavens because I love the moon. I love the story of space exploration. I love especially the fact that we went to the moon in 1969. And then I kind of realized it dawned on me that that became a really perfect and appropriate metaphor for the cross and what God's done because we worked so hard to leave the earth and go to the moon, but God sent his son to come from heaven and come down to the earth. And so it kind of coalesced. And, and what I realized was that um, 
the inner space, which is our soul and our battles on, on the inside here, we can learn a lot by looking up and lifting our eyes up. So many times in the Bible, we're told, lift, lift your eyes and look up. And the Bible calls in the book of Psalms, the moon, God's faithful witness in the sky. And so scripture like, literally right there tells us if we look to the moon, there's lessons to learn that can help us with our own personal development. And so I wrote this book. It starts with Buzz Aldrin, uh, 1969. Neil Armstrong's about to step foot on the lunar surface for the first time. But before he does, this is history and true, Buzz Aldrin opens up a package containing bread and a little cup of wine. And he reads out of John's gospel, the 15th chapter, about Jesus being the vine. Then he eats bread and drinks the wine. And the first thing ever eaten on the moon was the Last Supper. That is and so that's so where cool. the book starts. That is just so cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah, John fifteen five is one of my favorite verses. Um, but I saw, I actually saw on Instagram too that I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a whole chapter dedicated to to skeptics that that actually don't think we went. Is, didn't I see that? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So as I go back and forth between, you know, there's a lot of weird coincidences. There were 12 manned Apollo missions, just like there are 12 apostles. It was 12 years from the launch of Sputnik to the landing on the moon, just like there are 12 tribes of Israel. It took three days to get to the moon, just like Jesus was in the, the, the tomb three days, of course. Uh, but aside from those coincidental connections, there are also some very interesting ones, and that is that a lot of skeptics don't believe, A, space is real, NASA's real, the moon landing happened, and there are a lot of skeptics who don't believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus is God, or that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and so I have a chapter in the book called There Is No Moon, where I go back and forth on why should we, why would we believe, and I make a case for the moon landing, as preposterous as it, as it feels to me to have to do that. But, but then I try and do the same thing and with the same sense of, you know, even handedness, not making fun of someone who's a skeptic, but answering the questions, why should we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And that turned out to be one of my favorite chapters in the book. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that I'm for sure going to read it. Um, and this is just a question for me, just after hearing you just rattle off information like that. Have you always been like a genius or? Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> That's such a funny question because I don't consider myself a genius. I, I think I, I, I feel like um, I feel like it's a it's a it's almost something I'm more, I'm more embarrassed of than anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even you saying that I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm doing it again. You know, like being a nerd and. And I, it's been a journey of having to realize, like, that's who God made me to be and not to be ashamed of that, you know, to, to be yeah. nerdy like that. I wouldn't, I, would, I, would never, I would never say that was nerdy, though. I think that's incredible. Thanks, bro. Well, that's very kind of you. But yeah, I hope, seriously. and I do hope people can figure out what the backside of their moon is. There's a chapter called Everyone is a Moon because we all have the backside of, you know, the, the moon. I don't know if you know this, Christian. I, I discovered it in the research of this book. I did not know it before this. The moon never shows us its back. So your entire life, you've never seen the backside of the moon. It never faces the earth. Wow. When it's full, it's always the same full because of asynchronous rotation. As, it's, as it rotates around us, it, it keeps its back away from us. And so until we went there and saw the back of it, we didn't know what it looked like. And turns out it's really damaged, really beaten up because all the asteroids coming from the outer space hit it on the way to us. So it keeps its most damaged side hidden. And what I want to encourage everyone to do, and I think God gives us all permission to do is, is to remember that what makes us weird also makes us wonderful and the damaged parts of our life give us character and we don't have to hide those things. We can let God use them. Yeah. Man, that's, that's, that's so incredible. And even for me, like even what you said about, you know, just the planets and the moon, like 
I, I think people, you know, sometimes can fail to realize just even just looking at something like the moon, like just the idea that like, like you said, first off, we've never seen the backside of the moon. The moon controls the tides. Like if we were any, even just the gravitational stuff, like if the moon were any further away, if it was any closer, like just those implications are just absolutely crazy to actually think about how evenly placed and how perfectly placed everything in our whole solar system is. And even the moon, like our whole tides would be different. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's wild to think about even looking at the moon, how precise and how perfect its placement is for us to actually have life here on earth. Yeah, and you can't separate it from the cross because not only was communion the first thing ever eaten there, but um, the Bible says Jesus died at, on, right after Passover, and Passover was always in connection to a, a full moon. So when Jesus was praying in the in the in the the uh, the uh, garden uh, Garden of Gethsemane, thank you, uh, it would have been under a full moon. Wow. Think about that. And so there's a connection there, and, and the, the Jewish calendar was a lunar calendar. That's why, that's why when they switched over to the Gregorian calendar based on the sun, uh, we had the leap year before. They had to add uh, a couple days every once in a while to catch up because the moon's uh, year is only 300 days or so. Wow. Yeah. See, that is, that is shit. See, I, I, need, I, need, I need to study a lot more. Um, I read the Bible a good bit, but I need, I need, I need to get caught up on, on, on facts like that because— I just would feel I would feel so much cooler if I could just rattle off things like that. That's just so. That's well, if so, I could put up what you put up on the bench, bro, no. uh, we'll we'll help each other out. We'll, we'll help each other out. You help me because my sunken in skinny chest, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll give you a random fact every once in a while. You, you you tell me my my Tabata workout. Let's do that weekly. We can, I can give you a workout, and you can give me some cool news article to go read, and I can, I, can, I can soak in on it. Deal. Well, seriously, man, I really hope, and I. I, I know, I really think this episode is going to help so many people um, battling with whether it's depression or anxiety or lust or, um, you know, or even someone who's not struggling with that, you know, just someone to be encouraged and um, even just by the words that you said. So I'm really so thankful. Um, man, your heart is, is, is so awesome. And I'm so thankful for you and Jenny and for, for your family. Um, and I want to ask you before we end this for the 4-8 Men staple, um, for me and the listeners, I want you to give us a physical and a spiritual challenge to go out and try to accomplish this week. So my spiritual challenge, I'll start there. I love it. Uh, it would be, if you have never done it, try and read the Bible through in a year. I know it sounds daunting, but my nine-year-old daughter's doing it. It's three chapters a day. You know, I, I'm doing it in a physical Bible because then I can just put the bookmark there. And, and it's fun for us to talk about as a family. Pick a non-threatening version, New Living or New International, or even the NIRV. My daughter's doing the NIRV. It's the New International Reader's version. It's based on, a, a I think, a seven-year-old reading level. But I actually enjoy that translation because it's shockingly refreshing. Yeah. Uh, so that's my spiritual challenge. If you've never done it, even now, it's only, you know, as this is airing, it's still pretty early in the year. You could crush that thing, catch up. Read the Bible. If you're a Jesus follower, he believed in the Bible. You should too. Read that thing. Um, then my physical challenge, it would be, uh, if you haven't yet, uh, try, jump, try, try jump roping and try and get up to like where you can do three minutes jumping rope or five minutes. Start with a minute. It's pretty tough. Your calves will be burning. But, yeah. uh, but try, try get up to three minutes on the jump rope. I love you. So I, I love you. I, I love it. So three minutes every day, jump roping and try to get, try to get in, try to get up those minutes every day. There you go. I love it. I love it. Well, seriously, man, thank you so much. 
Um, those are going to be awesome to go out and do this week. And even for the, um, you know, reading a Bible in a year, I need, I need something like that, even structurally. So thank you so much. I uh, cannot wait for this episode to go out. Um, you've, I know that this has blessed me, and I know that's going to bless so many people. So seriously, Bro, thank you. You, Sadie, and Honey, are just a family par excellence, in my opinion, just purity, sweetness, and Every time I think of you guys, I, I'm just encouraged and love watching you guys blaze a trail. It's it's fabulous to watch. Well, thank you, man. Hopefully, either we'll we'll make it up to Montana soon, or y'all come down to Louisiana. So I hope to well, see you soon. Let's do it, bro. Let's go play some tennis. Let's do it. We need to. Thank you so much. <laughs>